As we get into the word this morning in Acts chapter 18 that Scott just read for us, uh, I, I think the, the underlying message in this text today has to do with Christians who face trial and setback. Christians who are trying to be faithful to teach and to speak the Word of God. At Bureau Bible Fellowship, we've taken great length as we, study, as we have studied the book of Acts to say that every one of us that is a believer is called to be a witness for Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean just the way you conduct yourself. That's not just that people would see how you live. It is that you would open your mouth and speak and communicate the gospel with people. And when you're faithful to do that, Paul said that you will be persecuted. Peter told the Christians uh, in his epistle that you will face persecution. It's impossible to be a believer and not be persecuted. Paul said all that live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you're not being persecuted, then you have to question whether you're desiring to live a godly life. And so this is a very, very important message that we need to hear because today in our society, especially of the churches in North America, most Christians do not share their faith with people. I don't have the latest statistic from social sciences, but I know that the majority of Christians do not share their faith. This goes against the scripture. And so what we see in Paul is a model because Paul was not only an evangelist, but he was also a discipler. He opened his mouth, he shared the gospel, and then he would minister and teach the Bible, oftentimes staying behind in an area that he had established a church and teaching them. We're going to see that today in Corinth. But what I want you to really notice today is where Paul has been and what he's been facing in his life. He has faced great trial in Philippi, almost dying he has faced setback by the Jews who have chased him down from one city to another because of the message of the gospel, because of preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul is very familiar with suffering. And he's come to this church in Corinth. In fact, the last place where he's coming from, as we know in the text, he's coming from Athens. And last week, Marshall Pennell preached a powerful message uh, that takes us through that portion of chapter 17. One of the things that Paul did when he went to Athens was try to identify with and speak to the, uh, the, those at the Areopagus, the, the philosophers. And of course, they're given to Greek mythology and they, they are given to intellectual assent. And so Paul goes, interestingly enough, if you go back and read, it says that prior to going to the Areopagus, when he was in Athens, he did preach Jesus and the resurrection. And it was not received well. So he goes to the Areopagus, and the Areopagus is simply a court, a tribunal, so to speak. And it's located on the mountain of that name, Areopagite. So you have Areopagites, people who were part of the court. And he goes there and he's speaking to the philosophers. And interestingly enough, I don't know if the scripture just didn't record it or whether Paul never said it, but not once while he was at the Areopagus did he use the name Jesus, nor did he mention the cross. 
he took a different tract with them, as he often did with Gentiles. With the Jews, he would start with the Old Testament law. With the Gentiles, he would start with creation. And that's what he did. And he brought it forward, and he tried to be uh, smooth in his transition and speak of the unknown God that they, he saw a statue for. And he tried to relate to them that I know that untrue, that un, I'm sorry, the, a God that you're not familiar who he, what his name is. I know him, okay, the unknown God. But he didn't come in strong, it doesn't seem, with a message from Jesus about the cross, the work of the cross. And the result at the Areopagus was that the people, those philosophers, some said, eh, maybe we'll listen to you again sometime in the future. Others rejected. Only very few were saved. So Paul leaves, it says, he left Athens for Corinth. So now he's traveled not far in distance from Athens to Corinth. And he comes to the people in Corinth. And it says that after these things, he left Athens, went to Corinth, and he enters a city that is absolutely given to rampant sexual sin. This would be probably in all the places Paul visited the worst, most wicked, most reprobate of people. In Corinth, which was an international city in the sense that you had roads leading from all directions into Corinth, so it was a major, a major center. And you have Paul who comes to this place, and now he's going to promote the gospel. He's going to talk about Jesus but he's up against a wicked, wicked place. He's also up against the Jews at the synagogue. We're going to see that here. So Paul, having come through all this struggle, all this suffering, all this adversity, and then just coming out of Athens with a, a less than stellar experience, and he comes to Corinth. And many of the scholars will say that Paul was experiencing a low point in that missionary journey, that second missionary journey. And some have even used the term depressed, that he might have had a level of depression. And he comes there, and as he enters, verse 2, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, the emperor, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he came to them, and because he was one of, of the same trade... He stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade, they were tent makers. The point I want to make in this, and this is where I think this, the underlying of this entire passage is, that in our points of, our low points in life, when we're really struggling, why? Because we're trying to be faithful to the word, we're trying to be faithful to God, we're trying to live a life of purity. We're trying to open our mouth and share the gospel with people. And in that, you experience setback and heartache and rejection. That in those times, I want you to know, as we look at the Apostle Paul, we find that God has several ways of coming to Paul in his lowest point and encouraging him. And God will do the same for you, church. He will encourage you when you are faithful to him and you're doing the best you can to share. God will be faithful to you. He will, he will show up. He will encourage you. 
I posted something this week that a pastor had said. He talked about politics, and he said, if, if politics is your game, that's what you spend most of your time t- talking about. He said, as a believer, that means that you probably don't see those who take the opposing view politically as lost people. You see them as enemies. His point was that we're to be about the kingdom of God, first and foremost, not politics. First and foremost, our calling is to God, and our calling is to reach the lost of Jesus, that do not, do not know Jesus Christ. Don't let your politics get in the way of seeing those who oppose you as less than lost people that are worthy to be communicated with, shared with, loved with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul made a, a life of this. This was important to him. And yet, what we see here is very interesting. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla were living in Rome. They were from Rome. There were many Jews that lived in Rome in that time. And around 46 AD, uh, Claudius made the decree that all Jews, not just the believers, but all Jews, had to leave Rome. Some scholars believed because there was an upstirring, there was an upswing of little house churches And they were having impact in Rome, and they were leading many of the Romans to Christ. And so he wanted the whole thing taken out. I don't want anybody here being influenced by these Christians. So that was certainly at least part of the reason that he wanted them out. And so where do they travel? All over. They disperse all over. Well, Aquila and Priscilla end up right here in Corinth. And by trade, it says that they were tent makers like Paul. Paul, that, that, that phrase tent maker, is really just a general phrase that could mean a lot of things. Uh, it probably more represents people who work with leather, crafting leather. And because tents were crafted with leather and they were so large, they just called them tent makers. But they probably crafted many things with leather. And so Paul comes into this town that is the most wicked city he's ever been to. And immediately, he's down, he's, he's disappointed in the last stop, you know, in Athens. God encourages him by putting him in touch with Christians, with believers. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like you're all alone, nobody understands, nobody gets you? You're trying to be faithful to God, and it seems like everywhere you turn, it's rejection. <coughs> nobody wants to be around you. And then God sends someone to you who understands and identifies and has the same passion for the gospel that you have. I got to tell you, you know, four years ago, uh, four and a half years ago, when I was pastoring, um, and, and some of you were there in that church, we were pa- I was pastoring a different church here in Vero, and, and it was a very sudden change for Rini and I um, to leave that church, and we were devastated it was just, it was devastating. It was as if somebody took their fist and just punched me right in the, in the stomach. I had no air in my system, and Rini felt the same. We immediately were taken uh, up to Leesburg and, and uh, care for pastors 
uh, Ron met with us and ministered to us for a whole week and did an intensive with us just to try to heal some from the experience. But I remember when I look back now how God in his sovereignty and in his love and his care was ministering to us in such a, I'd never experienced, uh, you know, a, tr a forced termination, ever. Some of you are going, what, you were forced to terminate? It was not ethical, it was not illegal, it was not immoral. It was just a church going in a different direction. Leaders wanted to go a different direction. And it was painful. And I had never experienced it. And I remember, when I look back now, I can see it. So just weeks before that termination took place, guess who shows up in the worship service? Bill and Jackie McClellan. Living in Palm Bay. And I was so good to see him. We've been friends a long time. I've not known Bill as long as Dave has known Bill. They were childhood friends and college roommates, stories to tell, I'm sure. Um, but I knew Bill for a long, long time. And so immediately, you know, we just, it was so good to see him. And they were only there a couple weeks, and we were getting ready to leave, I don't know, a vacation or something. And... Uh, so we didn't have time to connect with them, you know, and have maybe dinner together. And when we came back, that's when things happened. And uh, uh, that's when Bill also came back after a, a time away seeing family. And he just came to church one Sunday and, where's Greg? <laughs> and then he learned. So then he found us. We were, uh, about three months later, we were meeting with just a small group of people who were wounded like we were who were without a church, not sure where to turn. And to be honest, many of them uh, un, feeling unsafe in a church environment uh, because of the way leaders handled things. And we just ministered to one another. And guess what? Bill came, Bill and Jackie. God provided through text by so many of you to us in that time, encouraging us just encouraging us. Bill and Jackie come along, and Bill said, I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. And, and then so many of you, the elders of this church, not all of them, uh, but, but most of them were part of that fellowship as well. Uh, Ray Garcia and Helen, who led worship this morning, I pastored in Palm Beach Gardens for 21 years and, uh, and had the opportunity to disciple Ray in early in his faith in Christ. And we developed a friendship with Ray and Helen, and then they moved to Asheville, North Carolina, and for what, 19 years or so? And, and Ray became an elder in the church up in Asheville. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, I, we just now are starting to meet this little group of people just praying together, not even sure if we call it a fellowship yet. You know, it wasn't necessarily a church as much as just a, a healing place for us. And Ray reached out to me by phone. Hey, we're moving to Vero. And uh, uh, do you know of anybody that might have a, a rental that we can stay in for just a few weeks until we find a, a home? And so I put him in touch with someone, another Christian brother. And they stayed there for a short time or they found a place. And I didn't want to say to Ray, hey, come, come join us. Because we, we weren't a fellowship. Really, we were just getting started. 
And Ray said to me, hey, where, where are you? What are you doing? What are, you, are you pastoring? And I said, well, we're just meeting with a group. It's very small. It's just getting off the ground. And he goes, we, we'll come. We want to check it out. They've never, they've never looked back. They, they've been part. Ray's an elder here now. God providing many of you, the Bill McClellans, the Ray Garcias, other elders, at just the right time. This is what God did for Paul. He encouraged this brother who was faithful to the word. You see, it's, not, it's one thing for us to be unfaithful and then grumble and complain because things aren't going the way we want. But when you're faithful, you don't expect to see a despondency ahead of you. You don't expect to be rejected as much, but you are. It's just, it goes with the territory. And so here in verse 2, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they worked together. So this wonderful relationship occurred. But I want you to know this about uh, Corinth. It was an ancient city even when Paul showed up. It was a commercial center with two harbors. It had long been a rival to its neighbor to the north, which was Athens. Corinth was a city with remarkable reputation for hedonism, of all things, you know. That's what it was known for. If someone said to you, he acts like a Corinthian, that meant the guy is uh, just a, he's a player. He's out there sleeping around and involved in all kinds of sexual immorality. And then if they said, well, he's a, uh, they're a partner or the, it's a companion to a Corinthian, that basically meant a prostitute. I mean, this is the reputation of Corinth. This is an evil, wicked place. And, and yet, this is exactly where God sends the Apostle Paul. And he sends him there in a moment when he's low. You'd think, at least let the guy go home on furlough and kind of build up his faith again and then go to Corinth. No, no. God's in control. Paul's the one who said, in my weakness, he is strong. This is when God shows up and really manifests his strength. It's when you and I are faithful even when it's hard. And the harder the path, oftentimes, the more opportunities you'll experience God. The reason you don't experience God is because so many of us, it's our nature to take the easy route, is it not? No wonder you don't experience God because you're doing things in such a way that you don't think you really need him. What happens when you put yourself out there? I want to say to all the young people that are present today, if there's a fork in the road, always choose the tougher path. Don't take the easy path on that fork. Take the tougher path, tougher path. Because you will experience the presence and the supernatural intervention of God in your life if you go the path that has the greatest resistance. You're forced to trust God. Don't be a Christian who just eases up, finds life easy, takes life easy, eats, drinks, and is merry. Be the Christian that presses in like Paul, who fights to the end for the cause of Jesus Christ, who's willing to stand up even to family members and to neighbors and people that we meet and, and lovingly sharing truth with them, knowing that it might end the relationship. But that's okay. I'd rather them know about hell and heaven and how they can be assured salvation than to just be a friend 
that allows them to go to hell. What kind of friend does that? Paul was not that kind of a person, and here he is, and he's really laying it out. So we, we keep moving here, and we see something. Uh, we see that Paul was a tent maker by trade, and many have taken that to mean that Paul never took income from churches because he was a tent maker. He was, he was a, a part-time guy who worked and made money for himself, and then he served the church freely. That is absolutely true for Corinth, okay? It's not true for all of Paul's ministry. Paul very much did receive income from churches. They would send him a blessing, and he did. In fact, later in Corinth, when he was with the Corinthians, uh, the churches sent him money. It was the uh, Philippian church that sent him money while he was in Corinth so that he no longer had to work making tents. They paid his way so that he could give himself more fully to the gospel. So we come to verse 40. He was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. This was Paul's effective method of bringing souls to Christ who were Jewish. He would reason. He would teach from the Scripture, the Old Testament, who Jesus Christ is because Christ is all over the Old Testament. Prophecies abound. And, and it described his, his character his, uh, as a bold preaching in Corinth. Uh, in, chapter, in, in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 16, it says, For I determined not to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's boldness, to come with that message in a city like Corinth. But that's what he did. He said, that's how I came to you. He came to Corinth after being beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, <clears throat> excuse me, after uh, running out of Thessalonica for his very life, being chased away from Berea. They had to take him and send him away. They didn't want him to stay there because his life was in danger. He was scoffed at in Athens. So Paul is no doubt physically weakened. He's emotionally depleted. God sends Aquila and Priscilla, encourages his, his heart. And now he begins to preach the word of God boldly again. I want to show you something, church, uh, in, the, in the scripture that oftentimes I don't hear pastors speak about, but it's there. I, I want you to get the sense of what empowered Paul to preach boldly in Corinth. I think we kind of get this idea that it was because Paul was such a great expositor. Paul was such a great persuasive speaker. Paul was, uh, it was his personality. It was none of that. So take your Bible and turn, it, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and let's pick up together in verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. Paul is writing this letter and he is telling the Corinthians what it was like when he first came to them. Now remember, where did Paul come from when he came to Corinth? He came from Athens. What happened in Athens? <laughs> he tried to be cute in a sense, talking about their poets, quoting them, and the unknown God, not mentioning, possibly not mentioning Jesus, not mentioning the, the cross. So look what Paul does in verse 18 as he speaks to the Corinthians. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, 
It is the power of God. For it is written, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Who's he describing there? The debaters of that age would have been those at the Areopagus, the philosophers that he had just met with. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. I want to say this about philosophy. Uh, if you follow philosophy, you will never find God. I want to tell you why I say that. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Wisdom will never give you God. Wisdom will only give you intellectual assent and a human wisdom. It's the folly of preaching. It's the folly of the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. That's how, and that's what they call it. The, the, those who are wise in this world would say that's folly. Oh, you're a Christian? You're one of those weak people that needs that in your life? They don't get it, but we get it. And Paul goes on and he says this in verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were pow powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose the foolish from the world standard. Not that you're fool uh, foolish, but the world would see you that way. Well, guess what? If you're a believer, you qualify. That's you he's talking about here. It's not how good you are at something. It's the fact that you have nothing to offer except Jesus has revealed his truth to you, and now I'm going to communicate with what I know. It's not a whole lot, but what I know I'm going to share with you. And he said this, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. There's no place in the presence of God for philosophy. There's no place in the presence of God for human wisdom, human understanding, human debate. God, God's not debating with those people. He is an absolute God. He's an absolute truth God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you go back to verse 22, I didn't read it, but he says, for the Jews, they demand a sign. The Greeks, they seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jew, that's a stumbling block. To the Greek, it's foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Every one of you are qualified to share the gospel. Paul did not come to Corinth impressing them with his words. Paul came to Corinth in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. Look at chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians. And I, when I came to you, brothers, he's, he's now recording in a letter to Corinth, what it was like when he first arrived in Acts chapter 18. Look what he says. When I came to you, brothers, did not come. He, and, he, and now he's speaking to the church in Corinth. because he start, Isn't that wonderful? When he first got there, there was Aquila and Priscilla. Now there's a church there. And he says, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ 
and him crucified. The two things that are not mentioned him speaking of when he was at the Areopagus, that's all he's talking about now. He said, and, my, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that you, your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I believe that that experience in Athens, God allowed him to have that experience to really reveal to Paul the answer, the true answer for all men everywhere is nothing more than Jesus and him crucified. And Paul, it's not your greatness, it's not your name that goes before you, it's not you know, your reputation, it is me in you. That's the only hope that people have is that you will be faithful to broadcast the seed like Jesus said in the story of the parable of the soils. Four soils. Out of the four soils which represent the hearts, the attitudes of the heart of man, only one of those four was open to receive the gospel. So by Jesus' standard in that parable, only one out of four times will you experience, you know, a salvation. <laughs> Not that that's going to happen that often, but I mean, he's saying you're going to be rejected a lot more than you will be received. And, and look what he said. We call it the parable of the, of the sower. Why? It's not about the sower. Nothing in that story is about the sower. He doesn't talk to the sower about how to speak. He doesn't talk to the sower about how to dress. Doesn't talk to the sower about how to disperse the seed, keep it off the path, keep it away from the rocks, keep it off the weeds. He doesn't say any of that. It's not about the sower. It's about the soils. And God in that story says, I want the seed to hit everything. I want the seed to fall everywhere on all kinds of people, in all situations. I want seed to fall in the rocky place. I want seed to fall in the weeds. I want seed to hit uh, the path. I want seed to fall on fertile soil. The only thing that is spoken of really in that entire parable about the, so the sower, be faithful to reach into the seed bag, which is the word of God, and do this. That's all he's calling from us to do. He doesn't talk about how powerful you are, how, what kind of personality, what kind of gifting you have. None of that is mentioned. Because, see, being an evangelist for God, loving people enough to share the gospel, isn't about you. It's not about your personality. It's about your willingness in your own way, out of your unique experience of salvation, and out of your faithfulness, to know the gospel and share the gospel, God is the one that reaches people. You just throw the seed. Does that make sense? Every day, every member of Vero Bible Fellowship who is truly saved should be out there throwing seed. What would happen in Vero Beach, Florida if just this, this group of people right here were faithful daily to throw seed Oh, believe me, you'd end up like Paul and need great encouragement. You would. And we as a church are here. That's the delivery system of God's love, his care, his encouragement. We would be here to help you with that. You'd have a reason to go to church on Sunday. Man, this week I was out. I had some incredible experiences. But man, I'll tell you, did I get beat up? 
I'm going to church Sunday because, man, I know I'll be encouraged at my church. I'll be loved and I'll hear the word. I'll be built back up in faith. That's what church ought to be for every believer. But there's no sitting on the sideline, folks. Every one of you are a minister of God if you're saved. The Holy Spirit that lives in me lives in you. The Holy Spirit that lived in Billy Graham lives in you. It's not about the person. It's not about the man. It's about the spirit in the person. When the person yields to that spirit and allows the spirit to use him or her. That's what it's about. You say, man, I just barely am saved and I just don't know much in the Bible. Do you know the gospel? I can promise you every week here we share it. Every week we, we, we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We tell you what it is. We did yesterday at the funeral. I wasn't preaching to the dead yesterday. I was preaching to the living. They need the gospel. That's all you need to know. Know that God truly saved you by the gospel. And now tell somebody. And as you grow, as you're discipled, and we've talked a lot out of the book of Acts about the importance of being discipled. Not just, not just getting saved so that we can have a baptism service. But you're saved so that you might be a student of the word of God growing in Christ so that you might be able to help others. You say, well, I don't know much. Tell somebody what you do know. And then you keep learning. Sit under somebody. Everybody here. Listen, I'm done with the text. I, I told Rini this morning, I said, honey, it's been the toughest week trying to study because I've been, I've been sick. It's not COVID. I tested. I'm negative. Uh, but I have been sick. And, and it was really hard yesterday. And the Lord just helped us. I give, I give him all the glory for that. And even this morning, he's helping us. But I, I said, honey, really pray for me. I texted the elders, pray for me. But, but I just want to close our time and say this to you, that it is so important, so important that we not be a modern church like so many where we come to a service, we sit in a chair, we expect to hear something really good, and then we go home. God forbid that Vero Bible Fellowship become that church. I don't care who you are sitting here. If you have Christ in you, God sees your full potential. And he stands ready today to use you. You don't have to go get a... Listen, your occupation is your credentialing. That's your ordination. Take it where you work. Love people. Care for people enough to share with them the truth. Amen? So what is that truth? In a nutshell, the gospel is not just Jesus going to the cross and dying for our sins so we can be saved. Much more to the gospel than that. The gospel doesn't begin in the New Testament. The gospel starts at the beginning of Genesis. Man was perfect. Man had fellowship with God, and man chose 
to be his own God. And in that he sinned. And from that day forward, every single one of us have inherited the sin of Adam. And we've also, every one of us, have fallen short to the glory of God, Romans tells us. Every one of us. So from the beginning, if you can imagine this, before Adam was even created, God already knew what was going to happen. It's called foreknowledge. God had foreknowledge. So while Adam is sinning in the garden, God also sees at the same time his own son obediently coming to this earth incarnate, fully God, fully man, taking on the sins of every human being on himself. God sees Adam sinning. God sees Christ dying for us. Only God could redeem us from our sin. So God himself, Christ, and Colossians does not describe Jesus as standing by twiddling his thumbs while God the Father created. Paul tells us in Colossians that Jesus was creator. In fact, in him all things are created and all things are held together by Jesus. Jesus came with a purpose to fulfill the Father's plan of redemption. Not one of us have ever done a single thing in our life to earn or contribute to our salvation. We are depraved apart from the work of Christ. None of us. What parent has ever had to teach their child to say no? What parent hasn't had to teach their child to say thank you? It's born in every one of us. And Jesus took our sin upon himself and he goes, and, and as he's hanging on the cross, as the sacrificial lamb, the once for all, the father who was with him before the beginning in creation, who was always with him, literally forsook him on the cross. Why? Because he now represented us, sinners. Jesus took every ounce of, of pain, of suffering, of anger and wrath and judgment of God upon himself. God the Father put that on him. He saw him representing our sins. He poured out. Think about the wrath that God stored up to that point. He, and, and he's still storing up for those who don't believe. But to those who believe, it's all been released on Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross, having fulfilled. And the proof that his death was sufficient to satisfy God's wrath against sinner, sinners and sin. God, three days later, raised him up from the dead. If his, if his death on the cross was insufficient to fulfill God's requirement to pay for sin, God would not have raised him. But he did raise him. Because he's God, number one, and he never sinned, but also because his payment satisfied God. 
Let me tell you what that means to you. It means that by faith, you've been justified through Christ. Justification means from God's point of view, if you've been justified, that's a legal act. If you've been justified, it's just, from God's view, just as if you never sinned. After Christ died for you, and he took upon your sins, and then in your, in his, he then gives you his righteousness. Now, what does God see when he looks at us? He sees the righteousness of Christ in us. He doesn't see anything else. I want you to think about that. The righteousness of Christ is in us. Only a loving God could do that. Amen? This is the message that the world needs to hear. This is the message. This is what we need to be sharing with our friends. Amen? So today, we didn't get very far in our text, but that's okay. Know this, when you are faithful to share, you will be persecuted. And when you are persecuted and when you are low and when you feel like you're alone, know that God has given you the church as a delivery system of his love, of his support, of his encouragement, and of his care. Belong to the local church. If you don't have a church home, belong to Vero Bible Fellowship. We'd love to have you come and be part of this fellowship. And, and know that you'll be encouraged as you stand. This is what it's all about. This is why we exist. Amen? We're just aliens passing through this world, man. I'm telling you. That's all we are. We're, we're a bunch of aliens. That's how the world sees you, too. You're weird. Amen? Next time you go to the grocery store, they say, uh, where are you heading? You're out traveling. You stop at a grocery store. Where are you heading? Heaven. But I'm going to go to Missouri along the way. Father, thank you this morning for your love. God is just one of the shepherds in this flock, and every elder is a pastor, a shepherd. But we as elders, uh, we don't take lightly the responsibility you've put on us to shepherd this flock, to lovingly feed and lovingly protect this flock. And it's for a purpose. It's not so that we can lay by green pastures and still waters and just take it all in and get fat and sassy and happy. It's that we might produce a sheep in Palestine. The reason that the shepherd took such good care of the sheep was so that it could either reproduce or it would become a meal. It produced something. God, we are your sheep. We're part of your pasture. Oh God, let us not be the kind of sheep that want to just lay around in the green grass and just lick the water out of that cool, clean spring stream but never do anything with it lord may we get up and go out and love and care and share the good news of jesus with others i pray this lord over every believer in this room and those who are not believers may the gospel that they've heard may it redeem them as they open their heart to it as you turn the light on for them and they are saved today we give you great glory and praise and honor in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. I want to say to you, the elders are going to come forward here at the end of the service, and there's also prayer partners. If you have any need in your life, every Sunday, they're here to help you. Uh, Donald is going in for surgery in the morning, and so we want to pray over Donald.
Uh, the elders are going to meet with him over here. If you have any kind of surgery or anything coming up, or you just need physical strength, you need encouragement, would you please come forward? We'd love to pray for you too, okay? God bless you, church. Don't just walk out. Hey, we're a fellowship, Bureau Bible Fellowship. So let's connect with each other. Let's care for each other. There ought to be pockets of prayer happening all over the place. God bless you.